I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. There's a societal pressure to make your child conform so that they can fit in, they can have friends, they can be successful at school. And so all of us, the most well-meaning parents in the world, put that pressure on our kids early on. And we don't even realize we're doing it because we're not fully aware ourselves of what those societal pressures are. And a lot of times it takes your kid to just stop functioning or to be a major behavior problem or, you know, have deep depression or something like that before we go, hey, wait a minute what is the quality of our child's life right now? And what can we do to make it different? Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. This week, I'm bringing back to the podcast educator and therapist, Dr. Melanie Hayes. Melanie focuses on helping neurodivergent, gifted, and twice-exceptional people find their niche and work to their strengths. With a master's in gifted ed and marriage and family therapy, as well as a doctorate in educational leadership with a focus on twice-exceptionality, Melanie has spent the past decade building support and understanding for the 2E and 2EA population. She's the author of two books on twice-exceptionality, We Tried Normal, and her brand new book, Being Twice Exceptional. Melanie is also the founder of the Big Minds Micro School. And in fact, Melanie joined me on the show a few years ago to talk more about how her school mentors and supports 2E kids. During this conversation, Melanie shares insights from her new book aimed at twice exceptional adults. She explains what the term 2EA means, the unique needs of 2EA people, and why she's passionate about radical self-acceptance. Melanie also shared her thoughts on what stands in the way of a more accepting and supportive society for neurodivergent people, as well as her advice for parents raising 2E and 2EA kids. And if you too are neurodivergent, 2E or 2EA, I hope this conversation inspires you to be your unique self in a more, as Melanie puts it, radical way. 
Before I get to that, as you may know, I've been working to create some self-study programs for parents and caregivers who are looking for specific support. Last fall, I shared a mini course called the Emergency Reset, and my newest course is a 12-month Differently Wired Club boot camp featuring monthly themes, conversations with experts and authors, worksheets, accountability challenges, deep dive resources, and weekly emails to keep you on track. Together, over the course of the next year, I'll help you take the small, tangible, and doable steps that can have a positive and truly profound impact on your family. The big goal, more peace, confidence, and joy for you and your kids. To learn more, visit courses.tiltparenting.com or just go to Tilt Parenting and click on Courses in the main menu. Lastly, don't forget to check your podcast feed on Fridays as Playback Fridays, where I re-release some of my favorite episodes from the first two years of the show, is here again. I've got upcoming episodes with Alfie Cohn on Unconditional Parenting, Karen Young of Hayes Sigmund talking about anxiety in children, Dr. Dan Peters on Parenting with Purpose and Intention, and much more. All right, thanks so much, and now here is my conversation with Melanie. Hey, Melanie, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much, Debbie. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about your new book. As we're recording it, it's not quite out yet, but by the time this comes out, listeners will be able to check it out. But could you take a few minutes and do your own introduction for yourself and who you are in the world? Sure. So, you know, like you, I'm a mom who uh, was beginning my work based on the needs of my children. And then it just has grown and blossomed into being an activist for the TUI community and um, somewhat now expanding into the autistic community. Uh, My son is diagnosed, but he doesn't really identify so much as that. His identity is more TUI, which makes sense because that's been my work and activism for a twice exceptional community for a long time. But as as my realm of influence has increased, I've really wanted people to be proud of being twice exceptional and to embrace that culture. And I really have moved into a definite area of activism and now activism for autistic people who are twice exceptional. So it's really exciting work. It's a pleasure to be an ally to the autistic community and and to uh, try to help people better understand the needs of 2E people who also have autism. Yeah. And listeners, just so you know, Melanie has been on the show before, and we talked specifically about how to support twice exceptional students in classrooms in in school systems. So definitely listen to that. I'll have a link in the show notes page. But I'm really interested in this activism role that you said you're stepping more into. What does that actually look like for you? And how how does it feel to be playing that role? Yeah, it feels great. You know, I, I started out our last podcast was really around helping people, because I recognize that not everybody can pull their kids out of public school. And so, you know, we wanted to provide some sort of support around that. But, but the more I get into the working with these communities, and the seeing the people, it, it reminds me, you know, there's a, there was a part in your book that really struck home to me where you talked about how Asher had to apologize for who he was, not necessarily what he did. Um, And I see this so much within our community that people just feel broken and wrong for just being their authentic selves. 
And so I've moved sort of a, a little bit radically away from trying to help people help their children fit into the norm and more into saying, wait a minute, it, why why do we always have to adapt to the norms of society? It's time that society does a little adapting for us too. And I, I'm not saying that, you know, at all times people have to accommodate every aspect of being a neurodivergent person, but it doesn't seem right that people are masking and stressing and and really suffering because the world's not willing to admit that these people need some sort of different accommodations in their life. And so, you know, I'm just moving into this sort of radical self-acceptance and uh, helping communities figure out how to make the world work for them. And are you looking at all kinds of systems? So school systems, the workplace, you know, is your work more focused on adults at this point? Yeah, well, the book, the specifically, I was asked to write a book about twice exceptional adults. So, so being twice exceptional is definitely geared towards adults, um, and, and about all aspects of their life. So, you know, there's chapters on work and housekeeping and personal care and romance and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I tried to, to cover all the aspects of being a twice exceptional adult with autism. Um, and, but I deal, I do in my, regular work still do a lot of activism for children too, because I think that's where it starts. Uh, You'll see, you know, in the book, a lot of the stories talk about the trauma and damage happens when these kids are young and they're in school and having to uh, try to adapt and being not able to succeed either in friendships or academics or, you know, relationships with teachers. And so they grow up feeling like there's something inherently wrong with them. I work from that angle, too, to try to help parents and teachers and professionals and the children themselves learn how to self-advocate and be proud of who they are and ask for what they need. Um, but also, this book is specifically around tackling some of the problems. And and really, it is kind of a love letter to the TUI autistic community to say, you know, I I embrace who you are in every aspect, and I want you to feel proud of who you are and go out into the world and say, this is what I need, this is what I can contribute, and you need to recognize our community. I get so excited about the increase in resources for adults because, as I'm sure you've seen and I've talked about on the show, so many adults are discovering their own neurodivergence as they go through this journey with their kids. And I feel like your book is also a really great companion to Nicole Tetro's book, Insight into a Bright Mind, which is also about twice exceptionality from that neuroscientist perspective. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just really exciting to see that there are more and more places for adults to see their their own experiences be reflected and to realize that they're not alone, right? And that they're okay and perfect the way they are. Yeah. And I, I think it's cool that, you know, when we started, we were all in our own little silos. You know, you and I have been doing this for a long time. And, and it's so cool to see those silos connecting. And we're starting to have this interconnected support system, which is, it's crucial and wonderful. Yeah, it is really exciting. So much progress, I feel like in the past 10 years. So I wanted to talk about this idea of 2EA, which was a new term for me. Can you explain what that is and just tell us more about what that means? Yeah, when I started writing the book, you know, it got a little wordy to keep keep saying, you know, twice exceptional 
adults with autism. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to coin a new term because, <laughs> you know, you know, they, we've got the G3 and all these other new terms. So I just said, I'm going to, I'm going to coin the term 2EA and, and I don't mean it to be labeling or disrespectful in any way. It was really just for ease of writing and reading. But I do think that people t- can see that there's a subset of being twice exceptional that is specifically a twice exceptional person on the spectrum. And there are some specific needs related to being a 2EA person. Can you say more about what some of those specific needs are? Because I think it is interesting and important to characterize that as unique. And it it isn't something that most people talk about. We usually kind of lump, you know, twice exceptionality is this huge bucket and it can look so many different ways. And of course, every 2E person, every neurodivergent person is different. But what are some of the shared unique challenges or things that 2EA people have to navigate. Yeah, well, so they they have sort of some of the common things you hear about autism of the the sensory to the environment, uh, some of the social language uh, struggles. A lot of them have gut problems are pretty common. There can be issues with working in an environment or schooling in an environment that has uh, external stressors. A lot of times uh, people on the spectrum, they're their nervous system is at a heightened state all the time. And then you combine that. So those are also common traits with 2E people who might have ADHD or dyslexia, or, you know, it it tends to go along with 2E. So those, those can be common traits. But when you talk about a 2E person who's autistic, it suddenly becomes their, the giftedness is often hidden. Uh, There's a really beautiful film that just came out on the ASAN. Uh, the the group for autistic people that is run by autistic people. And it's uh, nonverbal autistic people discussing their thoughts and feelings and experiences. And they're so underestimated. Oftentimes, they just don't, people don't see what's going on inside, especially, you know, even if the person is able to mask and, and sort of passes as quote, you know, a typical person in the world, uh, what's going on behind that mask is oftentimes really painful really a huge struggle just to get through an emotional conversation can wipe them out for days afterwards. And, and I don't think people realize the, it's the same thing that we know about 2E people that the giftedness compensates for the disability. And so the disability is often hidden. And that's very true for 2EA people. If they're able to do the masking successfully, people may not have any idea of how hard they're working just to function in the environment. So, you know, for example, somebody at work sitting in a meeting gets called on to, you know, make a comment and they've been expending so much energy just to focus on all the multiple conversation at the table that they're not able to say what's on their mind. And so this brilliant thought that they might have five minutes later, the time is missed to be able to communicate it effectively. And they often don't feel like it's okay to say, give me a minute, you know, this is part of my disability, I want to respond, but I need a few minutes, can you come back to me? Because that's just not accepted, right? People don't do any of the most simple, benign compensation so that this person can fully engage and show their brilliance. And you mentioned, just to go back, you mentioned the ASAN, that's the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, is that what you're... Yeah, yes, yeah. 
a great group. Yeah, fantastic group. We'll have a link to that that in the show notes page. And I'll include a link to the film as well, if I can find that that you mentioned. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. I'm wondering about the two EA adults that, you know, you interviewed a lot of people. There are a lot of stories in your book. Well, I have a few questions. The first is, did you find that a lot of the adults that you spoke with or that you've come across in stepping into this work more deeply, that they are on this path of discovery as an adult? Or are these people who primarily kind of knew who they were or what their wiring was when they were younger? So it's a mixed bag. Like there are some people who knew from a young age what they were and and how to uh, 
either embrace or reject themselves because there were both. And there are others who just never understood why life didn't work for them until they were an adult. And some had diagnoses uh, professionally, some self-diagnosed, which I also fully embrace and support. Um, and, and they started on this journey of like, oh, this explains so much. Now I understand why this is this way for me or why I never fit in or, or why I struggle so much or why I'm exhausted all the time or, you know, why my health is impaired. So, um, and even some of the people that have known they were 2EA from a young age, they still discover a lot more as they become adults because oftentimes parents, um, and, you know, we're both parents, so we understand this at a very deep level. There's a societal pressure to, make your child conform so that they can fit in, they can have friends, they can be successful at school. And so all of us, the most well-meaning parents in the world, put that pressure on our kids early on. And we don't even realize we're doing it because we're not fully aware ourselves of what those societal pressures are. And a lot of times it takes your kid to just stop functioning or to be a major behavior problem or, you know, have deep depression or something like that before we go, hey, wait a minute what is the quality of our child's life right now and what can we do to make it different and some kids never got that you know they grew up their whole life feeling like they their parents were disappointed in them or angry at them or you know they were failures uh, especially in high achieving families which of these 2EA kids often are part of a high achieving family and so they're the odd person out in a group of sort of vanilla gifted people who are succeeding at all of the norms of society and they're the one who's a failure. And so that can be really painful. Um, and even with a diagnosis of autism, a lot of times they're they're still not understood. They're still not recognized within the family and the parent group. Oftentimes the parents have low expectations for them. And uh, all of that is really painful. We mentioned earlier that you have a lot of stories in here from 2E adults to EA adults. How did you go about finding people to share their experience? So first, I want to say that the stories are completely made up. So these people are not real people. Um, they're, they're people from my imagination, but they rely heavily on my experiences with autistic people who are 2EA, um, who I've worked with over the last 20 years. Some of, some of the incidences in the stories were people I've met in the last five years, and some of the situations and, and, and quotes may have come from someone I know 20 years ago. So, you know, it was the intention to really protect privacy of the people I've worked with and make them not identifiable in the reading. But, um, but I'm really grateful for all of these interactions I've had with these amazing people over the years, because you know, it's it. I feel like they're my people, even though I'm myself. I'm not autistic. Uh, I I have run in these circles for a long time, and so I'm proud to be part of this community. I feel like for for all adults, um, but especially for neurodivergent adults, with every year, there's just this deeper and deeper understanding of who we are. I think that's one of the one of the upsides of getting older is more kind of fully stepping into owning the way that, that we show up and how to kind of be in the world. I'm wondering, just you personally, as you've navigated the work that you do and raising the children you're raising, I'd love to know if you've made discoveries about yourself and, and how that has impacted the way that you show up. Yeah, I definitely have made discoveries about myself and, and, 
have realized that I have been masking heavily for a really long time. Um, you know, I, I joked with you at the start of the podcast that public speaking is really hard for me. Um, I have to really gear up for it. And people say, oh, my God, you're such a natural. You're so relaxed. And nobody would know you were nervous. But but if you could see my hands, I'm I'm twitching my hands and fiddling. And, you know, uh, when it's over, I collapse in a heap. And and that is something that I have given myself permission to to out. You know, it's like, yeah, I, my job requires a lot of public speaking and it takes a toll on me. And so, you know, I'm I'm really kind to myself. I try to space it out so that I don't do a lot of public speaking more than one thing a week. And I give myself time off afterwards to just relax and, um, and, and I try not to worry about it. I've gotten a lot less worried about, do I come across as a professional and do I look like I know what I'm talking about? Because really my work is from the heart and I'm just going to talk. It's not really about my professional credentials, although that has given me the experiences I have to be able to talk about what I talk about, but I don't see myself as any more expert in this, especially 2EA. The people who are 2EA, I feel are the the most expert in this. And all I'm trying to do is be a compassionate voice for what they are experiencing and how I can support them. Um, and when I'm working with 2EA people, I always tell them you're you're the expert in yourself. And I'm here to support you. And, and, and whatever you tell me, I take as authentic. So I think I've relaxed a little bit. I've um, become a little more radical. Um, you know, I'm not really involved in the day-to-day operations of Big Minds anymore, other than sort of fundraising and, and outreach. But, um, but it, it still operates as a pretty radical school for, for 2E people. Um, but I think sometimes even my speaking is a little even more radical than that because I don't want people to feel like they have to fit in somewhere. I don't want them to change themselves to match anybody else's expectations. And and I'm not saying that they don't need to learn how to code switch and that we all have to be a certain way in certain environments. But as I've gotten older and given myself permission to just be my weird, wacky self, I feel like I'm sort of giving that permission to everybody else too. So if there's really weird, wacky kids at my school, I'm like, great, be your, be your authentic self. Well, one question about what you just said, you talked about how you're giving yourself permission, you're being compassionate with yourself to, to just kind of be the kind of speaker that you are. And I'm wondering if prior to that, before you kind of came to this place of really just being, okay, this is hard for me, and I'm just going to put it out there. Did you make it mean anything about yourself that those things were harder for you? Like, did you have a point where you internalized that as a something that was a deficit or a negative thing for you? Yeah, I mean, for a long time, like I can remember putting on a suit jacket and, you know, dress pants and dress shoes and going out to speak publicly. And my whole body just felt like this itchy mass of ants crawling on it because the pants were uncomfortable and the waistband was too tight and there was a tag in the shirt and my shoes, my feet hurt. And, you know, I'm worried about makeup. And so my my eyes are stinging because I have no tolerance for makeup. And I, I'm just miserable. And I'm up there trying to present my best self. And I'm castigating myself like, why why am I not normal? In fact, I remember I wrote a poem in sort of my journaling about um, like all these 
beautiful things in the way people look and their hair and makeup and clothing and and it's not me like i i cannot put on these like right now i'm wearing a a sweater and a pair of cargo pants you know <laughs> and that's I I now when I go to public speak, even though I have to put on this persona of I'm the founder and executive director of Big Minds, I work as a therapist at Summit Center, like I do have to put on a certain professional persona, but I give myself permission to just be my weird self. And if I have to wear comfortable, loose clothes and no makeup and, you know, I'm going to come across as a very homely kind of person, that's okay. But for a long time, it wasn't okay. I I really felt like I had to be that professional mask, that professional persona. And, and it took its toll on me. Like I have lasting health problems because of it. I, you know, a lot of the things that I talk about in the book, I also went on that journey of discovery to realize that I have to love myself. I have to radically accept myself. I have to embrace my differences. If I can't handle people's cologne, I'll tell them that now because otherwise, you know, I've been in a room and, and my eyes would be watering, my nose would be running, I'd be having a headache and feeling nauseous because of the sense of people's perfume. You know, and I don't want those people like, you know, no perfume allowed, but I do want to say to people, excuse me, you know, I need to go blow my nose because I'm very sensitive to smells. So I'm not asking other people to change for me, but I'm I'm allowing myself to say, this is what I need. I in the book I call them escape hatches. So whenever I go into some situation I know is going to be really hard for me, I have an escape hatch. Like if it's going to be tough to have be at a function where it's, you know, socializing and everybody's, it's like a mixer kind of thing. I'm going to be freaked out after about 10 minutes. So I'll excuse myself to go to the bathroom. I'll pretend to get a phone call and go outside and walk around for 10 minutes and come back in to just to give myself that space I need to, to be able to function and continue going. Yeah. And I think, again, sharing this and the more people that kind of just own who they are, it gives other people permission to feel better about doing that. And it ultimately, it's just like talking about mental health challenges, right? It's just kind of destigmatizing, breaking the rules and, you know, that it's it's okay to, to just show up as you are. Yeah, because they're stupid rules. Yeah. I mean, most of what society has for us is it's not authentic. It doesn't allow people to be their best selves. And so, you know, I'm just I'm fine with saying, sorry, that doesn't work for me. And I never used to do that. I was a complete pleaser. I'll do whatever you need to make you comfortable to, you know, provide whatever your your organization needs. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, 
monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So you've mentioned the word radical multiple times in this conversation, radical acceptance. I'd love to know what that actually looks like. I mean, you've you've given some little examples, but how would you define that? And what do you think it will take for us to actually get there? Well, I, I think it's interesting you you notice that because really it isn't radical to allow people to be their authentic selves. But our society right now thinks it is. You know, like think about, they talk about, oh, this radical uh, change in this company to adapt the lighting for people on the spectrum so that they don't uh, have uh, seizures, you know, or whatever. You know, it's like that. that is not radical. Um, making our public schools so that children feel safe and are not going to be either physically, m- mentally or emotionally beat up because they're different. That's not radical. But it's sad to say that we have this whole idea about conformity and compliance that anybody who bucks the system is considered radical. And so I use that word in that way because I want people to say, yeah, I I have a right to be myself. I have a right to ask for what I need. I will do my best to code switch when I need to, but I shouldn't have to mask up and code switch all the time. Other people should work to let me be myself too. And it's amusing because it's not radical, but it is. So what do you think then are some of the biggest roadblocks for us being a society that is radically accepting of difference where these accommodations or just supporting different ways of being is the norm? I I think there's a couple of things. One, we have a great fear of the unknown. And so anything that's going to ask us to change what we have in place, people will immediately back away from and say, well, you know, that's not going to work. I think about the work that was done in the 70s just to make like 
handicap ramps accessible so people could get into restaurants and and for a person who has uh, extreme disabilities to be able to eat in a restaurant. You know, that kind of stuff didn't happen before. And and I think we're facing this with our intellectual differences. And, and you know, we, we know that the movement is growing and that there is uh, probably going to be major changes going forward. I, I just read that the National Education Association has finally acknowledged that um, gifted people who are not uh, accommodated appropriately for their their advanced learning is just as detrimental as someone who is not accommodated for their deficits. So, you know, that's just recent. And that that shouldn't be taking that long for that to be recognized, just just the vanilla gifted part. And then I think the other thing is we do, we are an anti-intellectual society. And and we feel like, um, oh, well, if you're so smart, you can figure it out. And we only accommodate people who are different, who are geniuses, if they're like the Elon Musk's of the world, right? If you, or Steve Jobs, you know, you can be a a, a kind of a jerk in lots of ways and get away with it if you're wealthy and powerful. But you can be the nicest person in the world who's just asking for a basic accommodation and and you might lose your job or or you your marriage might fall apart because your partner isn't willing to recognize that what you're doing is not intentional. It's part of how you function or, you know, to have an emotional conversation takes so much out of you that you're not going to be functional for the next day. So there's a lot of, um, I think people also don't want to do the work. You know, we want to stay in our little cushy chairs and have the world work the way it works for us. And that's nothing new. Like nobody's ever liked change. So, you know, I, I think we have to embrace the idea that the more divergent, um, we, the more divergent people that we bring into the circle, the better the circle gets because all of those talents and abilities that are hidden, that's what we need right now. Like our world's in trouble and it's in big trouble because we've stayed with the status quo. And I think if we don't start doing something different, which a lot of neurodivergent people are different and have different ideas, we're, we're going to miss out. hundred percent agree with that. I want to, before we wrap up, I want to just spend a moment talking about launching because many listeners of this show are raising two EA kids. And I will say that for this season, I just yesterday interviewed Jordan O'Kelly, who is a two EA young adult who is successfully launching right now is in college and doing very well pursuing his dreams. And so I'm just wondering what advice you have for listeners who have who are raising TUI or TUEA kids to really help them progress towards a successful launch. Yeah, well, I think a lot of the the hesitancy to launch is the anxiety, because they haven't had good experiences in the world. And the world hasn't worked for them. And so they're thinking, you know, even with my parents, even the most supportive parents, right, that they've been the buffer, they've helped the child, but the still the child has still not had good feedback around oh yeah, I can do this. Life works for me. Um, and even things like 
you know, when they when they become 12 and 13 and they hit that latent period where they're developing their friendship circle, their second family, a lot of our kids have never had a chance to do that. And so those milestones, the developmental milestones that move them towards launching have not happened or happened much later. So I think for parents, it's it's about reducing anxiety, about helping their children see where their strengths are. Um, helping them learn to self-advocate so that they can ask for what they need so the world doesn't seem quite as scary a place, to really stretch out the launching pad because the runway needs to be longer for our kids. They might not launch till their mid to late 20s. But once they launch, if the parents give them that sort of support and help them understand how to use their strengths to be functional in the world and how to use the advocacy for the places where they're not functional, then the world seems less scary and they feel more capable. And, you know, parents, I think oftentimes the sort of vicious circle is parents overcompensate because they, they see the anxiety and they try to reduce the situations that create the anxiety. And it's, you know, good parenting. You're trying to protect your child, but it's a really fine line to walk. So as you're raising your child, you want to push them, nudge them a little bit so that they see that they can tolerate a little distress, that they can, you know, be out in public and, and go to this event and do it successfully, or, or they can um, uh, finish this uh, project and be able to, to show it to people. So um, it's tricky. But if the parents can, can do that little bit of dance where the kids learn to have confidence in themselves, because really, it's kind of all about self-efficacy, self-advocacy, Staying connected to your passions and really embracing yourself for who you are. That that's what the kids need to launch. And so give them time, give them space, and and help reduce the anxiety. Like point out to them what they can do well. Yeah, that is great advice. It is really tricky. It's something we talk a lot about, the push pull, the scaffolding, building up, taking down. And and I just appreciate the reminder and I love that language of stretching out the launch pad. And just really accepting, you know, not just intellectually knowing that their timeline is going to be different, but accepting that and really being okay with what that's going to look like. Yeah, it's a major trust fall for parents, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've done this long enough. I've seen these kids where they're, you know, 16, 17, 18, and the parents are despairing that their kid will never launch. And 10 years later, their kid's doing some amazing groundbreaking thing and very successful. And, you know, so it. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't mean to say that all children that launch go on to, to do amazing groundbreaking things, but to me, being yourself in the world and bringing your quirky art or you start a podcast or, or you work at a job that you love and, and you're a, an amazing dungeon master, like to me, that's all groundbreaking. I'm not talking about like the Steve Jobs of the world. I'm talking about the kid finding their place where they're content they have their life works for them. They have peers who appreciate them. They have a vocation they enjoy. Like, that's what I mean by doing amazing things. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So just as a way to wrap up, I want to come back to your book, Being Twice Exceptional. I'd love to know what your greatest hope is for it in the world and what it will provide for readers. I hope for people who are 2EA that they will read it and see themselves in the stories and be able to be like, hell yeah, I deserve to be myself in the world. And I I think for people who are 
part of the ally group, parents, grandparents, relatives, friends who read it, who have a 2EA person in their life, that they will develop a great level of compassion and understanding and be able to, so, you know, I'm going to say radically again, to radically support their person to be who they are authentically. Oh, that's great. Well, congratulations on the book. I had a chance to read it in advance and just thought it was great. And so I really encourage listeners to to check it out. As you're listening to this episode, it is available. And is there anywhere that you would want to direct listeners to follow your work and learn more about you, Melanie? I'm not great at social media. That's one of my <laughs> deficits. But um, certainly the Big Minds uh, Unschool website has a link to a lot of the work that I do. My wonderful marketing person puts out tweets and things about, I'll, I'll do a brain dump and then they'll put it out there. I also work at Summit Center as a therapist. So oftentimes I'll do groups and speaking engagements for them. So that's probably the two easiest ways to connect with me because I don't have my own my own social media platform. (laughs) You don't need to. I am a fan of if it feels good, do it. If not, don't do it. You know, especially again, as we were talking about at this point in our lives, it's time to just kind of show up as, as feels good for us. And, and we are huge fans of the Summit Center too. So that's wonderful. And I'll again, listeners, I'll make sure there are links for all of these resources in the show notes page. Melanie, congratulations on the book. And thank you for taking the time to talk with us today and share all of this. And yeah, I'm excited to see where your advocacy and your activism takes you next. (laughs) Thanks so much, Debbie. I really appreciate your interview. and, And I'm excited for both of us to keep doing the work we're doing. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. If you want to dig deeper into this episode, check out the show notes page. Every episode has a dedicated show notes page on my website where you can get links to all the resources we discussed, read a transcript, and even easily go back and listen to key takeaways by using the chapters feature on the podcast player. To get to the show notes page for this episode, just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this show. If you love this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. For as little as $2 a month, you can help cover the cost of the hosting platform for this show, my wonderful new editor and producer, Andrea, and more. It's so easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting to learn more or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. If you're into social media, you can follow Tilt Parenting at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter. Visit the Tilt Parenting page on Facebook or join my Facebook community called Tilt Together. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by subscribing and leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information, visit www.tiltparenting.com. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) 
Well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.